May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be ever acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. My first parish was in a one-stoplight town just south of Selma, Alabama. There were about 100 members on the roll, 12 of whom showed up regularly, and the median age was about 80. This beautiful, white, clabbered little church was founded at the height of Carloville's life as a bustling town along the Cahaba River in the early 19th century. Today, it stands in the middle of old fields now used to grow timber. Remnants of its former life carefully untouched by progress. It has an attached parish hall, a small unused building connected to the old historic church by a covered walkway. My first Sunday, the senior warden gave me a tour. And I remember walking through its rooms, illuminated by sunlight streaming through old curtains and the familiar smell of ancient wood floors. The hall has a kitchen, a large meeting room, and a little locked closet off to the side where they keep their history safely tucked away. Old Bibles, chalices, collection plates, all manner of interesting artifacts, many over 100 years old. My most vivid memory are three little Sunday school classrooms separated by those old, flimsy, retractable canvas walls. And on the walls of each classroom hung dozens of pieces of yellowing Sunday school art. Construction paper, masterpieces with little stick-figure Jesuses and Marys and Josephs, Jerusalem landscapes covered in glitter and glue and scissor-cut angels with the names of parishioners' children and grandchildren written in ballpoint pen and black marker along the bottom. These three little rooms were frozen in time, unchanged and unused since the last of the children had moved away for college, then to work, then to raise their own families in the bigger cities and bigger towns. As a brand new deacon, and later a priest, all I could see was loss and emptiness. A place that once was so full of life and noise was now silent, unused, and preserved as a reminder of what used to be. 
it made me deeply sad. This space, once so vibrant, would no longer be filled with children and teachers creating new Sunday school art for their walls. At the time, I saw my first parish as a place whose greatest days were gone, experiencing a slow and obvious kind of death. What I couldn't see at first, and what I have learned, and I'm still learning as I grow in my vocation, was the abundance of life and faith that still remained. Good Friday challenges us by leading us right into the heart of loss and darkness. Today we arrive at the foot of the cross where Jesus suffers and dies. Yet despite this, there is a sharp irony in the Gospel of John's account of the crucifixion. In the midst of this emptiness, Christ's own kingship is illuminated. Pontius Pilate places the well-known inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, above Christ's head. And unlike the other Gospels, all of which include this title, John chooses to expand on it. In today's story, the chief priests insist that Pilate's change the inscription so that no one will think that the religious authorities accepted Jesus' kingship. But Pilate refuses. What I have written, I have written. Perhaps he is hesitant to make the change because Christ himself seems to acknowledge his own royalty in response to Pilate's question, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. This interaction, as we heard, confuses Pilate. Because Pilate suffers from a failure of imagination. For him, kingship represents dominance, the use of coercion and violence to establish and maintain power and hierarchy. And if Jesus and his followers were of this world, if they harbored this understanding of kingship, then they too would be, used, would be using these tools. But Christ's authority is not tied to coercion. He refuses to usher in his kingdom through violence. Instead, on the cross, Jesus reorients our own notions of life and death, victory and defeat, winning and losing. It is a reign not of dominance, but of relationship, community, love. Christ ushers in a new order 
that promises to defeat the distance between all of us. A kingdom based in the connection between those who came before us and those who will come long after we are gone. As we witness Jesus' act of sacrificial love, we are shown that we, in Christ, are worthy subjects. We are worthy to love and to be loved. We are worthy of serving and being served. In Christ, we find who we are. We find our home. In Christ, we matter. In Christ, our children never die. In this darkness, there is so much hope, so much life, because here we can start to see the faint glimpse of the sunrise, of the new life that comes on Easter morning. By the end of my tenure in my first parish, I had grown enough to see how much life was left in that small community church. There was more life there than I could possibly imagine. The few who still gather together are gathered in the name of Christ, and in their community of worship, they not only worship with each other, but with all who came before, and with all who will come after they are gone. It's a truth that is both mysterious and undeniable. A promise that the decay and loss that we see every day is not the end of the story. It was never the end of the story. Today, on this Good Friday, may we witness the darkness with fresh eyes and a heart that knows that this isn't the end of the road. The promise of rebirth is just as inevitable as death, here and now. Out of this hopelessness, out of this despair, May we have the fullness of spirit to know that the hope of this new kingdom springs forth from the cross.